Today is Friday, May 5th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. Happy Cinco de Mayo and Revenge of the Fifth. Ha! Um, I was, I was going to have some uh, mariachi band playing, but I couldn't find anything on the fly that was not copyrighted, so, eh. Maybe next year. Uh, today, let's talk about the thorn in Paul's side. And then, did you know there is SatanCon? So I imagine that's like Comic-Con with... Less Marvel, more demons, I guess. Um, <laughs> then uh, why why do typically largely Protestant churches uh, for communion use grape juice instead of wine? When did that happen? So we talk about the temperance movement and why that happened. Then uh, alien imputed righteousness. Every time I think I've heard all the terminology, I am surprised. So alien imputed righteousness. We'll talk about that. It's not as space age as it sounds. Even though it's Revenge of the Fifth. I guess it's a little sci-fi. Anyway, so we talk about that, and then you see Nate's brain break. Um, I've sat through so many of these conversations about absolute vapid philosophy, and Colossians and Corinthians and all this stuff rings true about Paul. Um, I imagine he's, like, banged his head against the uh, against his doorpost a lot, too, dealing with this. It's like people talk about s- these, like, super deep philosophical points, and... I get philosophy. I know I sound like a caveman, but it's good, and intellect and academia is good for what it's good for. But whenever it starts stops becoming useful for practical application, and it goes a little bit beyond like just thoughts and the way you kind of view the world and like things like that, it just gets into just vapid, superficial nonsense. Um, and y- you see, I-, I have a little breaking point, <laughs> which I had to go anyway. But um. Yeah, I, I can only do so much of that. And it's like, look, the wisdoms, thinking themselves wise, they became utter fools. Um, there's some Romans for you, Romans 1. And you see that happening. And this guy starts, he's like, you know, I guess very proud that he has a PhD in philosophy, um, even though he sounds like 15. But um, he says, so, you know, taking him his word. It's like, premise one is what do you deconstruct? And what do you think of this? And what do you think of this stance? And what do you think? Ah! And I'm doing lots of things, but he used lots of big words. But the point is, for Christ, for for theology, this like philosophy only plays a small part. Like it is so simple. And I brought this up. I bring this up later. Uh, that you know, there, there's a quote. Uh, Saint Jerome have kind of captured it and modified it. But it's like you know, the gospel is so simple, uh, a child can understand it. But it's so deep, you know, theologians can drown in it. Um, so he probably said it better himself. He talked about uh, it's like a, the gospel's like a lake that a child can wade in uh, without fear of, of uh, drowning, but theologians can dive deep, deep, deep down and never reach the bottom. And then whenever we start doing that and getting into deep theology, and then it branches into philosophy, and then it, it, like in, it's inevitably going to turn into hard solipsism. And like if I would have let this conversation go in thirty more minutes, I guarantee people would have been questioning whether or not they actually exist. They'd be like, how do you know you exist? What is existence? I'm like, oh my gosh, just repent and believe the gospel. Like, s- swim back through your philosophical nonsense tubes, get back to, you know, the the deep, deep lake that theologians are diving in and never reaching the bottom, swim all the way back up to the very surface level of the gospel, swim over to that little kid that's waiting, and be like, hey, what's this? And they're like, oh, believe in Jesus and live forever. Just stay right there. Like, the, the deeper and deeper you go for for your spiritual growth, for, like, the Brians, they study the scripture daily to make sure what they believed was right and correct, that's good. 
But whenever it starts getting, especially by people who aren't Christians anyway, if you're not a Christian, there's no reason to talk about deep philosophical concepts with Christians. I mean, I understand they want to prove an argument and prove a point and, like, I guess debunk Christianity and God or existence, whatever. But from our standpoint, from the Christian standpoint, until you get the repent and believe the gospel and call on the name of the Lord Jesus to save you, make you born again, give you a new heart, give you eternal life, repent, until you've done that, there is no reason to go any deeper, not one foot deeper. Stay on the surface, stay in the kiddie pool. And fortunately for Christianity, the kiddie pool is all you need for salvation. So you don't need to to wade in the water and then graduate to level 10 and then like swim deeper and graduate into higher theology and eventually like eventually get enlightenment or nirvana or eventually have enough knowledge to be saved. You get saved in the kiddie pool. So anything you get beyond that is a bonus. Anything you get beyond that is off the milk of the word that Paul talks about and on the meat of the word. So, yes, it's good to go deeper, but not until you get step one. So you don't, like, start out 500 feet deep. You start on the ground, and then you take one step in the water. That first step is where you find your eternal life in Jesus. Um, Woo! (laughs) Can you tell how I feel about this nonsense, this deep philosophy? Um, you know, I actually started out, I enjoyed these philosophical conversations like 13 years ago. Um, this is what it's done to me now. It's like, it's like kryptonite. Um, then they're like, you don't like philosophical conversations. Well, of course, I'm telling you I don't. I mean, it's not like I, we can't hang. Like, I've done this painfully for like over a decade. Um, it's just wholly unnecessary. Like, believe in Jesus, then I guess let's talk about if you think you exist or not. Um, which if you believe in Jesus, you won't. There's a philosophical point. Okay, so everyone, I'm going to step down off my tangent and uh, prepare some tacos for Cinco de Mayo. So, um, which, by the way, is not the uh, Mexican Independence Day. That is in September. So I don't I don't know why. Like, I guess Cinco de Mayo is, is like a battle that was important that kind of led to the start of the war for independence for Mexico. But um, nonetheless, I guess Americans just look for a day to celebrate something. So take care. Have an awesome weekend. Bye. So Surprise. Before, uh, before Chris gets us banned in like two seconds today, uh, what's your question, Yvette? <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so I was thinking of uh, Apostle Paul and his ministry. He had a healing ministry, so even a very powerful one, by the way, because even as he walked, the shadow his shadow would heal people um, that were, you know sitting across, you know, whatever, wherever his shadow touched. And uh, he describes uh, himself as having a thorn in the flesh. So he had a very powerful healing ministry. So I was curious as to why he didn't use his uh, gift to heal himself. I mean, he had the knowledge of God and the gift to do so. I'm not sure how it benefited his uh, healing ministry, like his purpose in life. I'm not sure how it benefited his purpose in life uh, because that's, you know, sickness is how the kingdom of, uh, sickness is how the kingdom of darkness expands on earth. So what, what are the, so it seems to me that uh, St. Paul's point of view of being sick, even though he held a healing ministry, was a benefit to his ministry. But I'm wondering what that benefit was. Um, give me one moment. 
Hang on, let me just send this thing real fast. I'm multitasking. Let's see if I can actually do this. Okay, uh, so I would say, first of all, Paul, um, there, there's no reason to think off the top, you know, there's no reason to think that just because, you know, Paul, like, you know, has the ability to heal people of certain things, that means he has magic powers to heal everyone of everything at all times. So, you know, that's, I would just say that. Like Jesus says, you know, sometimes the disciples were wondering why they couldn't cast out demons. And he says, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. So I don't know if we can take something from that. But uh, I, I mean, what I take from it is there's no reason to expect that just because you can heal certain things doesn't mean you have a cure-all to heal everything. And then also, we, we can kind of see that I think Paul understands it maybe that way, or at least um, not the way that he could heal him, his own self, because we see from the scripture that he says he's asked God multiple times to take this away. So maybe he's tried, <laughs> and maybe he, or maybe he just like knows like, oh, it's a different thing. Um, or maybe it wasn't like a physical ailment. Like, you know, people will also say that, you know, it could be people also say that it could be like, you know, some other type of thorn in the flesh, um, whether it was like a struggle with sin or emotional battle or something like that, like it, something other than uh, physical ailments. So I would just say, well, we don't have the actual answer. Um, those are really good reasons why he couldn't just perhaps magically heal himself. What do you think about that, Chris? Right. So he actually couldn't just heal anybody he wanted because he was an apostle. But um, that wasn't why he came. That's not why Jesus came either. Your presupposition is coming from, and, and, and I'm not, this, is, this has nothing to do with you, Yvette, but you've been taught false things. And so one of the false things that you were taught is that somehow sickness and disease is how the kingdom of darkness moves forward. That is incorrect. The Bible never teaches that. That's a non-Christian teaching oh, called okay. the New Apostolic Reformation. So that's a that's what we call a monistic non-Christian teaching that a lot of people that you'll see that are preachers will preach, and they're preaching heresy. Okay? And so that's the first problem. So the, oh. the next thing, right, that is untrue. So the next thing that we would say is that um, God furthers his kingdom through people coming to Jesus. That's how he furthers his kingdom, not through physical healing. Okay, so there's lots of people who never receive physical healing that are wonderful Christians. Joni Erickson Tata, if you want to look her up, she's a quadriplegic, and she writes amazing things about the faithfulness of God, even though God has chosen not to heal her. And so, you know, there's a, there was definitely, you know, some, some folks have attempted to deceive you. I don't think they've succeeded, but they have attempted to deceive you into a false non-Christian theology. The reason that Paul did not have the thorn in the flesh removed is you can read it in 2 Corinthians 12. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, the point of it is that is that Jesus says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so if it were true that those false teachers were right and that the kingdom of God is put forward by disease, um, then that would directly contradict what Christ tells Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. And that's why they are dogs and false teachers, and will burn in hell.
All right. <clears throat> In a very nice way, he means that. <laughs> no, I don't need to. I don't need to dress that up. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris. And it's like you know, also like you know, Jesus, like the, the maybe quasi adjacent. Can it be quasi and also adjacent? When the disciples are asking Peter, like you know, they kind of have this understanding, like somebody sinned, right? Because it was taught down, like you know, sin is passed down by the the parents and stuff like that. That would be an understanding people had in that day around that time. And you know, like the the blind guy was it John? Was it John nine? It seems like everything I ever want to talk about is in John nine, but maybe I'm just wrong. Um, but it's about the the blind guy. He says he's been blind from birth, and the disciples are like, "Well, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he's blind?" And Jesus is basically like hand waves that question away. He's like, "It's so like God can be glorified, or it's for the glory of God." Um, so I would say it's not always because of something negative, something bad. Um, it could just be for the glory of God. Chris, if you say I'm a Calvinist, I'll scream. I'm not even gonna say it. I don't have to. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, anyways, Yvette, you have a response to any of that? Uh, no, no, you answered my question. I could see how sickness could be a benefit <clears throat> to, uh, <clears throat> to use, you know, um, you know how this, there's a scripture that says God can turn around what's bad to good. <laughs> yes. For his 100%. glory. Yeah, God doesn't want anybody to be sick. But God doesn't necessarily always decree his desires, if that makes sense. He wants everyone to come to repentance, but yet not everybody does. Is that a failure in the power of God? No. It also kind of humbles you um, in a way, like if you look at it in the right uh, view, because uh, it, it allows you to uh, um, remember that your um, we, uh, your weakness, you know, and Paul described uh, himself as, you know, I'm glad that I'm weak because I, um, uh, because he is strong and because God is strong. And so that helps us rely on God more than, than ourselves. 100%. And like, look, the, the fall and sin and sickness and disease and, and all of the other things that happen, you know, and these are not things that God is desirous of. Remember, like, God, he is, he is good, he is faithful, and he is powerful. And he wants good things for his children. That's just, that's the end of it, right? He is powerful enough to carry that out. We may not understand the circumstances at hand at the moment, but God is powerful enough to carry out the good for his children. It's called his complacent love. Amen. Chris, every morning, do you just have breakfast alone in the same restaurant? <laughs> About two days a week. No. What what is this a classic American restaurant like a skillets like bacon and eggs type thing or? Yeah, it's a diner. So I have um, a feta and grilled chicken omelet. Well, oh, Yvette, you could have hung out here. You didn't have to move yourself down. When you want us to have anything to say, let's invite some people. Mac, Yvette. Pastor Sam invited you. Anyone else would like to jump up? 
Hey, Victoria, what's up? How's your morning going? Or afternoon? Theo, welcome. What's up, Theo? Uh, doing well. Good to see you, Nate, and Chris, and Victoria. Yeah, good to see everyone. Good to see you as well. Yeah. Hey, Mac. Anything yeah. on your mind this morning? No, I'm just listening. All right, Chris. Uh, yeah, Theo, do you have something to say? Uh, yeah, just, uh, I guess I was, I was doing some research on, um, what was it? It's dispensationalism versus covenant theology. Uh, and then I guess I was just wondering, like, what are your thoughts on it? Um, it's also wondering, you know, what is like, uh, I guess Victoria's position on that as well. And Chris and everyone. Well, Chris, remember the good old days when people just said God didn't exist and they didn't have any real reason why? You've ever missed those days? Oh, yeah. <laughs> these, are, the time. These, are, these are deep conversations to start out with, which is fine, um, I guess. Um, by the way, I just saw like the greatest proof, um, you know, the greatest argument for atheism. Still doesn't mean it's true, but, you know, the most solid evidence they have is I saw something that said like Ed Sheeran said he would quit creating music if he won his court case, if he lost his court case saying that he plagiarized like uh, Marvin Gaye's lyrics or uh, music for one of his songs, uh, but he won. So someone was saying that's proof God doesn't exist. And while it's not proof God doesn't exist, uh, that's that's the best argument they have. So they should go with that. Um, Chris, <laughs> would you like to speak to Theo's question? The uh, dispensation and covenant? Yeah, but it's not too loud where I'm at. Um, yeah, covenant theology just says that God operates in covenants and that when um, he instituted the new covenant, that is the new covenant with his church that fulfills the old covenant. And they would say that this is the Abrahamic covenant that is fulfilled. All that means is that God's people are now found in his church, which makes sense, right? Because not all Israel is of Israel. There's a lot of good arguments for it. Um, and there's there are eschatological um things about it that would be necessarily true in that idea of covenant theology. Uh, amillennialism is one of them, although you can be post-mill, um, but you'll very, find very few covenant theologians that are going to be pre-mill, like myself. Um, then you're going to have dispensational theology. Dispensational theology got a rough start. Um, it had a couple of like pretty bad... Um, teachers to start with uh, Ryrie and a few others um, and they came up with like seven dispensations and all this other nonsense um, but modern dispensational theology is covenantal so that may be confusing but it is covenantal but it simply says that um, God breaks his redemptive history into individual time periods so you're going to have things like the time period of Moses and Joshua. You're going to have the time period of Elijah and Elisha. You're going to have the time period of Jesus and the disciples. These are bright lines in redemptive history. And so you're going to see those. That, that's all dispensationalism says. Now, there are some whack job dispensationalists like John Hagee that think that there's two different methods of salvation. And then you get further whack jobs like mid-acts crazy people that think that there's two different gospels. Oh, and he just got a call. Theo, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> you, you weren't asking what they are. You're asking which one 
he is or we are. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, but the, yeah, the description also helps. Oh, and Chris got a phone call. Uh, well, yeah, I, I guess there you go. Yeah, uh, do, you, do you have anything to say yeah. while we wait on him to get back? Yeah, man. But uh, yeah, it's a good good to see you, Victoria. Just wondering how you are as well. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, just thinking. Hey, Gia, Keegan, Francis, welcome. Feel free to join us. Yep. Hey, Keegan, how's your morning going? Good. Um, other than my wife just got tickets to the Taylor Swift concert, so we are <laughs> we are doing that tonight. I'm I'm not going, but I am taking her. But she made a huge, you know, they're expensive. I don't know, but they're five hundred five hundred dollars a pop. What, dude? Dude, it was what? like, and she's like, oh. yeah. And so she was trying to convince me this morning before I went to work. Oh. She's like, can you take a half day? And can we like make a day of it? And I'm like, yeah, we can. Is it is that for like the regular seats, or did she get like good, better seats? <laughs> oh, Nate, let's just say that this is a below average ticket. Oh, that. Oh gosh, that like hurts to hear. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, I don't know if we can shake that off. <laughs> yeah. So. Shake it is, off. Is is that? Oh. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, yeah, my kids were into it, so I, I know the songs. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the I'm not the biggest fan of really any artist who's like just liberal. I don't know. You know, like I can. T- really- I would not pay five hundred dollars to see anyone. I mean, maybe Jesus, but I mean, like, no, I, I would not pay five hundred dollars to see my favorite band in the world. Like that is, oh gosh, that's like hurts my soul. Yeah, there goes my uh, there goes my bonus checks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You could have had like five sushi dinners for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For just I, one of them. Um, yeah. Well, anyways, not to make you feel worse. I'm sure it'll be fun. I'm sure everyone will have a great experience. Uh, I don't know how we could put lipstick on that pig. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I saw like to ask uh, Victoria if she would go, like, go out with me and be my girlfriend and also, uh, you know, forgive me and such. Uh, wait, what? Ask. Are we playing Dateline right now? Uh-huh. Oh, fortuitous as it may be, Victoria, I see you're off mute, but if you're trying to speak, we don't hear you. Um, so maybe maybe it's the will of God that you're not able to speak this morning or just leave and come back. But yeah, if you're trying to speak, we we don't hear you. Uh, but was that was that a ha-ha question or is that a serious question? Because that, that may be a little weird. Uh, no, it's, it's serious. Like, yeah, oh. yeah, that's right. But yeah, I guess. Um, are you there, Victoria? Or... Well, clearly, Clubhouse is bugging out, so it's one of the things where the person's trying to speak, but they can't, so the only way to speak is leave and come back. Oh, uh, yeah, that's fair. Hey, while we, uh, I guess while we figure that out. <laughs> but now she's leaving, she's like, out. Okay, so I gotta know, since you did this on a public stage, I gotta ask, is this one of the things that, like, where you guys like know each other and have been talking and stuff like that for a while, and this is like a bold display of love. 
that you hope was reciprocated? Or is this where we're going to find out like, oh, Chris, a lot of, a lot of feedback. Or is this where we're going to find out like a week from now where like she disappears from Clubhouse and it's like, it's because that guy's been stalking me in rooms and rooms and rooms asking me if I'll date him. And we're like, wow, we had no idea. Wh which one is it? Um, I mean, we, we, we used to like date like, um, like a year ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I wasn't the best person. So then she blocked me and I think that was completely fair, you know, on her part. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, Oh, I think, yeah, I think, I think that she's giving me another chance and so we'll see. But so, yeah. So, so right. brother, brother, let me just tell you, I would just, can you leave it alone for another few months? Just trust me on this, okay? I love you, Theo, and I'm not trying to be hard on you in public. I'm just trying to say, like, let's give it a few months. Okay? So, Chris, anything else to say about dispensationalism? And by the way, he was asking uh, what you are, uh, not necessarily for a description, although the description did help. I'm a, I'm what's called a progressive dispensationalist. That means that I believe in the covenants and that I believe that God works in covenants, unlike a lot of other dispensationalists. Um, but that uh, God also works within time periods. That's all. Hey, Lou, welcome. Right. Oh, and Brother Miller, that is correct. Yeah. So, so that's the reason I believe that as well. So Jesus did keep the law perfectly. When we get his perfect life and something called double imputation, that's just a big theological term that means that Jesus lived a perfect life. When he died on the cross, he gave us his life to stand in for us. And then he took our sin in his body, First Peter 2.24. And so when we say that he lived a perfect life, the reason he had to pardon me, he had to live a perfect life just because he has to give us that life so that he can stand in for us because God judges us on our actual works. Lou, have you anything to say? Of all the times I wish you could speak. Uh, Chris, did you hear uh, Keegan has Taylor Swift concert tickets? Taylor, Taylor Swift is maybe the second best um, evidence that the atheists have for their world. <laughs> right behind Ed Sheeran. Are, are we going with that's the best? Or, or is he third? I don't know. I think the atheists are kind of afraid to come back in here after Tyler folded them so hard two days ago. Do I know Tyler? Yeah, Insanius or whatever. Oh, okay. He's one of the he's one of the, the college students, and he's an engineering student, and so he's not going to RBC like a bunch of the rest of the other guys, which I am having tacos with today. I hope everyone's jealous. I am having tacos with Anson and Kyoto today. But, um, but yeah, he, um, I mean, he just folded the atheist so hard. It was like, it was kind of amazing. So what was the hardest folding? What's the hardest crease he folded with an argument? Like what's, um, or is it going to be really complex? I'm like, oh. I mean, 
the the funniest moment was when he asked Jack Angstrike to explain what explain means. And do I know Jack? Jack is like the king of the atheists. He's like a Is he known by a different name or his not no. his name is Jack? His his real name is Jack Angstrike and he's I believe he has a degree in philosophy from like a Ivy League. He's a very smart guy. But he's also super mean, and his claim to fame is that he's in a documentary where he's that's talking about film. You know, it's like a film documentary, and he actually like takes an old lady and throws her down to the ground, like because he's just an insufferable individual. And so that's Jack's claim to fame. And well, uh, that doesn't sound like something a good moral atheist without the belief in a god would do. Oh yeah, no, Jack has never claimed to be a good moral atheist. He is oh. <laughs> a super terrible person. And oh. <laughs> everybody knows it, but he's really smart. And so Tyler just he just was like he used the he knew what Angstrike would do, so he just he turned he turned the strategy back on Angstrike and just kept asking him questions. And then Jack tried to turn it back on Tyler, and then Tyler's response was, Well, can you explain to me what the word explain means? And then Jack is like, just cashed out. Well, I mean, really smart and amoral. That kind of sounds like the American psycho embodiment. There are many on Clubhouse who would agree with you. Oh, wow. So I guess I haven't met this guy, I don't think, right? No, he despises you, even though you've never met him. So wait, (laughs) I've never met him, but he hates me? Yes. Oh, okay. I guess, well, that's too bad. That's okay. He really hates me, too. So, yeah, what I what I figured out is I can't be the only mod in the room because I got a phone call and it pulled me out of the room. And then in the middle of all of that, Katie got the green bean. And then I couldn't come back into the room because Jack was on stage and Haiti was, was absolutely perfect. She kicked Jack from the stage so that I could come back in and I came back in and ended the room because like, you know, it was just devolving into, devolving into badness. Oh my gosh. I really need to watch that replay. Oh, welcome back, Vic. Um, let's see, anyone else? Another random round of invites? All right. Lady, heretic. Feel free to join us if you like. Anyone else? Oh, Carlton is on there. Carlton always has good stuff. Hey, Carlton. What's up, heretic? Good morning. Hey, not too much. Just heading to work. Anything on your mind? How would you describe Angstrike? Uh, I don't know. I've never really uh, listened to the guy. I don't even know if I've been in the same room as him. Apparently that's not a requirement. (laughs) But is there anything we can uh, keep you entertained with on your way to work? Maybe how, uh, how God exists and you should repent and believe the gospel? I don't know. Just any... Any fun driving conversations? Uh, what's your guys' thoughts on uh, the thorn in Paul's side? We just talked about this this morning. 
Chris, what are your thoughts on that? I think it was we uh, talked about some partial blind, like cataracts. Oh, it could be. I don't know. I never thought of the mechanism. So how would, how, like, what kind of, I, I know, you know, there's colorful language, but how would you, if it was partial blindness, how would you go from thorn and, did he get another call? I did. Get another call. Oh, yeah, that's right. You, you, in that call, we're more important. Um, if we just cost you, cost you lots of money, you'll, you'll get treasures in heaven. But um, how do you go from partial blindness to thorn inside? Like if I had like partial blindness and I, I wanted to use like colorful language to describe it, I'd probably be like, you know, this darkness that clouds my vision or i don't know something like that like from thorn inside how would you think partial blindness there's there's a bunch of evidences that paul never fully recovered from his blindness at the, at the road to damascus um, ah and so one of those is there's a couple of epistles where he writes the end of it he said see this is i paul who write this in my own hand you see how big my letters are, and he's kind of goofing on himself. Um, and so that's one of the clues that people use to say that his blindness may not have been fully healed when he was healed. Yeah, this is in Thessalonians chapter 2, where he, or actually it could be, yeah, I think it's Second Thessalonians, where he, uh, he says, you've been shaken from your faith and disturbed as if from some letter, by some spirit, or by word of mouth. Uh, or by letter purported be for me concerning that day of the Lord, but it's not because I write like this. That is interesting. I guess, Yvette, maybe that would help further, further uh, speak to the question you originally asked this morning. Or, well, you asked quite any heal himself, but anyways, so maybe it wouldn't. So, anything else? No pressure that this uh, conversation kind of lives and dies with you. <laughs> okay, let's reflect on this moment of silence. It seems like there's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about recently, but... I mean, dude, we never did a download of Satan Satan Con. Okay, wait a minute. You don't know about Satan Con because this is about to get real. I, I do not. Is it exactly how I would picture it to be, though? Uh, probably more. Oh my! So where do, and when does this take place? And did it just recently happen then? So it happened last weekend in yeah. Boston. Satan Con. <laughs> um, I. Wow, so many questions, but I don't know which ones to ask. So it's just like, we've got hours to go through with this. This is just such a good topic. Let me get out of this. Let me get out of this diner and like, we'll talk through. Oh, Satan Con, that's, I don't know. Does anyone else know about Satan Con? It's totally the same thing as James. Totally the same thing as Jamesy. What do you mean? Like, you know how he's like an atheist, but he's like, you know, part of the temple of Satan or whatever it is. Whatever the one yeah, is. Yeah. It's yeah, their convention. It's their convention. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, 
I mean, I, I get the idea, like Comic-Con, but, you know, less Marvel, more Devil. So, I mean, are there just, like, goodness, I, I got to look this up. I got to, like, find pictures or something. Like, I, I can imagine. Oh, I want to see. There's so much stuff. Just, just look it up. SatanCon 2020. My first question could be misguided, but I would want to know the drag queen to Baphomet drag queen ratio. I mean, I don't know if that's, there were a lot. Um, yeah, there, there were a lot. Wow. Lou, have you heard of this? Satanicon? I don't want to hear about it. Um, I'm good. There's a reason it's important. Let me pay and I'll, I'll, I'll let you plug. I hope you're being a good Christian and leaving one of those uh, one of those tracks that look like twenty dollars, but it has a Bible verse instead of actual money that they can spend on you know the devil's lettuce or something. Just kidding, that's a joke. The official position of asking Christian is tip your server well. I worked as a server in college. I always leave good. Yeah, I, I used to be a server, and I would occasionally get those. And even as a Christian, it was still irritating. I'm like, come on. Come on. And you know they probably spent like $20 to buy like a giant box of those things to hand out. I'm like, you could have just given me $20. <laughs> this is just question. too much. Oh, oh they have it. They have it. Uh, um, does, um, because I know that I've heard like some Puritans talk about uh, the communion having wine and not the grape juice. Um, but I, and I know in Pentecostal churches it's the grape juice. What do we know why it's um, been a different um, difference from um, what what was originally intended to be wine? I'm not sure. I I, I want to ask ChatGPT now and see if it knows. Like I'm not sure the Ooh. origin of why that is, but Let me I see if think my it has matches ChatGPT. Let's have a contest between Yeah, I hope you know some interesting history because, you know, I grew up in one of these churches and, you know, I, the, the best reason I have is like, I, I'm trying to remember like my mother explaining like something which, you know, she faintly had a grasp on, on why, but it was like something like, well, I, it has to go back to like legalism and how they thought like, you know, alcohol was above Jesus or something like that or like, like. They're like, yeah, well, it wasn't fermented yet. I'm like, well, if it wasn't fermented, it'd be called grape juice, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know to argue this, you know, as like a child. But I'm thinking, well, if it's not fermented, then it's just called what it is, right? Like grape juice. So if it, it's called wine, that means it's been fermented. Um, so it means it contains alcohol. But I think it has something to do with like their, their moral standard, like an aversion to alcohol or public, you know, public whatever. I don't know, displays of whatever. Hey, yeah, Chris, I don't know. Do you know why this is? Yeah, it was the temperance movement. So the temperance movement came about um, in the United States and, and in all other places from women. Women. Um, that Wacky well, had some zing to, on that. Yeah. Um, that wanted to end drunkenness uh, because men uh, were violent, murdering each other and all kinds of things. You know, Old West stories, you know a couple shots of whiskey and go do a shootout on the street, which seems like after enough whiskey, you're probably not going to win that 
gunfights. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so it was all about the temperance movement. And they started replacing wine in church um, because of the temperance movement. And then you get an argument about the weaker brother and you don't want somebody to stumble with alcohol, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, all the way up until the 19th century, all churches used wine. And then in the 19th century, they were like, the demon liquor, and we've got to get rid of it. That's like Christian reefer madness. Yeah, I would think so, because like I used to go to Hillsong Church, and uh, they so they had this Hillsong College campus where they do not allow the students to have um, drinks or wine. And, pe- and there were a lot of students complaining about that. And then the pastor, or the founder of Hillsong Church, he, he was involved in a scandal where he said it had to do with him mixing sleeping pills with wine. So he, his, his, um, he, he wasn't thinking straight, which is strange because the church in the communion also, they use like grape juice. And so they're like, he, he was drinking <laughs> with his medications. Interesting. Oh wait, is that like like he had some kind of scandalous issue and he blames uh, alcohol and sleeping pills for it? Yeah, he was a child. Remember when Rose? Remember when Rose? Child molester. Oh, okay. Hang on, more about that in a second. But remember, remember when Roseanne like tried to excuse, uh, you know, like uh, the treat, uh, which everyone was like calling racist, and they like canceled her for. And she's like, oh, I took sleeping medicine. I took like, what was it, Lunesta or something? She's like, I took that before bed. And then they tweeted back. They're like, uh, don't blame us. As far as we know, our uh, sleeping medication, a side effect is not racism. Like, <laughs> So anyways, in similar line, I guess the side effect would not be child molestation. So wait, so this was a, a Hillsong person, Chris? So, this is the founder the, of Hillsong. Uh, actually, his father was um, the pastor that was involved in child molestation, but like the founder, he he was also involved in other scandals. But his main um, main scandal or something that they caught him was uh, because he I think he was in his thirties or forties when he found out his father was involved in the scandal, and he tried to like um, not report it to the cops or something. But it's probably not as true as what they were trying to make it sound like. But he kept yeah, the like they went after him. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, he kept he kept his dad in the pastorate with access to children at, even after he knew that he was molesting kids. And, and then, how long ago was this? Like years and years. So this is years and years ago. But then you know his father died, and Brian Houston is the is the founder of Hillsong. So I was wrong about that. So it was his dad. Vic is right. It was his dad. And his dad was hired as a pastor at the church because his dad was pastor of the church that I think became Hillsong. Is that, that, is that right? Yeah, yeah. You've got that right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then um, Brian Houston just got um, nailed and he just got convicted of DUI, I think like three weeks ago. Yeah, these are horrendous people. And, uh, you know, Hillsong, and again, it's not a genetic fallacy. It doesn't mean everybody at Hillsong is horrendous. It just means, like, their their leadership has time and again shown 
to just be the absolute worst of the worst. I mean, Carl, Lentz, um, just the, the people, like, almost all of the Hillsong churches in America, the pastors were embezzling money. And then, like, um, they just released, because of discovery on another court case with Hillsong, they just released all of their finances where they were doing, like, $14,000 a night hotel rooms with church money. I mean, it's just, it's, it, the scandals for Hillsong go on and on and on. And yet every church in America, just about every church in America, sings their music and keeps paying them. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Maybe we should just, like, lock their musical talent in, like, a box and, and just, like, force them to just crank out music and just, like, stay away from, like, the leadership. <laughs> Is that possible? Right. I mean, Bethel is the other source that we get a lot of music from, and they do witchcraft. So, you know. So Dude, it's so, the, it's, like, it's, it's so crazy, because, like, yeah, wh- why, I mean, I guess probably the devil. Like, you know, like, the, I, I guess, you know, like, the devil, you know, took a break from rock and roll and figured his best, best way to, like, lure people astray was to use, like, Christian music, quote, Christian music that does witchcraft. So, you know, maybe the devil's in the music. Maybe he's a good musician. Um, but but why? It's like you know because like the 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 melodies and the music, like the musicality and the the talent of like you know Elevation, Bethel, like Hillsong, like as far as Christian worship music goes, like the sound is like super super appealing and me- melodic. So it's like if they are so bad, um, why is why is there nobody else? Like you know it seems like our church. Cause I think I told you this a while ago. Um, has started, I've noticed, because they used to do all the Elevation and Hillsong stuff too, but they haven't in like months and months and months. And I've wondered why. And I don't know if they're like trying to license music that's lesser known or make it themselves, but the quality is not nearly as good as what you'll hear from, you know, these other Bethel and Hillsong, the, the music. And I'm like, why is that? Um, so I, I guess maybe they know some of what you know, and they're like, well, we don't want to pay these people and we don't want to be affiliated with them and sing our music. So maybe that's the reason, which is admirable. But um it's like this other music they're getting is so subpar. So like, why are there not musicians that can make good music sounding like, you know, Bethel and Hillsong minus, I guess the grave soaking. Like why do they need, I mean, is Satan the requirement to make good music? Of course not. But I mean, goodness. (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, I hope not. Did they find the pick of destiny? Like like, Bethel has the pick of destiny. (laughs) Right. Yes, they do. They, they, well, yeah. I mean, like, Look, here's the thing, is Satan wants to destroy the church. That's his whole thing, right? He, and we know he can't, right? Jesus already said, Gates fell are not going to prevail. This is just one of his attack vectors, and we welcome it into the church. And it's just, it's bonkers to me. Like, you know, I complain about my church. Like, you know, I have an awesome church. Don't get me wrong. I'm there all the time. I love everybody at my church. It's a great church. They support everybody. Like, when my mother-in-law died, and it was real hard on our family, like, our church rallied around us. Like, it was it was awesome. Like, and they, and they continue to do that. Like, you know, so, um, any rate. So, we have a great church. It's just that our worship is trash. Like, it's terrible. And, you know, I go to that church despite the horrendous music. And, you know, it just, it brings me out, like, when I hear like some of these songs that I know are blasphemy, I'm like, Oh wow. That God has parts. Awesome. You know, like, (laughs) Oh wow. You know, like, like all this other, you know, like there's just because people who are completely uneducated in the faith 
that don't know the first thing about the character and nature of God are trying to write music about him, like, and then they utterly fail because they don't know anything about God, then, like, you're like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that is not true, even a little bit. Um, so, I mean, so I think does that's your, where a lot of that comes Does your church do the Hillsong stuff, or they just sing other uh, music that you disapprove of? No, they do you Bethel, it. Hillsong, Elevation. That's the three. Oh, so you Bethel. suffer through this every week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to blow my brains out every week and just go to, go to glory and, and know that in glory, none of these songs will be there. Like, you know, Oceans for the will record, be played in eternity. It will be played in hell. For the record, don't blow out your brain, brains. Official, ask a Christian position. Do not harm yourself. Yeah. <coughs> Bethel, Bethel, Hillsong, and Elevation will absolutely be played for all eternity and it will be played for all eternity in hell. Oh, it's a shame. Like, it, it sounds good. Like, just, you know, take the Satan out of it and the bad theology. I mean, you know, so does Well, I mean, Chris, like Jesus, I mean, you said it right. Like, you know, the gates of hell, as, as you know, our Lord and Savior told the very first Pope, uh, Peter, um, will not prevail. <laughs> well, I think we should play Kanye West music at church. Right. Yeah, that's what they tried to do with Lecrae, and now Lecrae is apostatized, so, you know. <laughs> uh, what, what was, like, again, I, I barely know these people. Like, what was, what's Lecrae's thing? Like, he just, his, his lyrics took a turn, or, like, he got a bad, like, bad theology now, or what's Lecrae's deal? He's just, he's walking away from the Christian faith. He's deconstructing his faith. Oh, gosh. He's that's, like, the lamest the, thing. Ah, yeah. I'm going to deconstruct my faith. I can rebuild it. Like, what does that even mean? It's, it's, it's they don't postmodernism. Know. So, yeah, well, they don't. Because postmodernism makes no sense. And it, and it doesn't attempt to make sense. The whole point of postmodernism is to be a logical contradiction, to put a thumb in the eye of people that say, I understand postmodernism. And then, then uh, when you claim you do, yeah, then they're like, let's, let's no, it guys, like, Favorite type of... Uh... Music. Do you guys prefer like older church hymns or more new? No. <laughs> so yeah. I I, uh, I I don't even know how to answer that. I thought I did. Uh, like I, I I like like rock music, like traditional, straightforward, like the rock sound. So like uh like if you're like some church hymns, like you know if it's with like pipe organs and sounds like you know Phantom of the Opera is gonna come out. Like that's not my thing. Like I just I, I don't like that. Uh, you know some people are like oh the Gregorian chants are so beautiful. I'm like what? So no, it's, that's not really my thing or like, you know, old, old hymns, but, uh, you know, like, uh, Cutlass, if you're familiar with them, like, you know, they have a very, very just simple rock type style. Um, and they've redone a lot of old church songs that used to sound that way. So I actually like a lot of the older church music redone by Cutlass with this kind of like rock style, which Pastor Mark would not like because uh, he doesn't like that rock quote worldly sound. But um, I, I, I like it. I don't think, uh, you know, the world has a, uh, has a monopoly on a certain sound of music. Um, anyway, so, so that. <laughs> um, I mean, from a regular life, I, I like a little bit of everything. Like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like I, I'm not just someone that listens to only like the most holy music. Um, you know, in my own life, I listen to secular music, but that's kind of what I gravitate towards. Like, you know, just a simple like kind of rock, maybe a little bit of classic rock now. It's funny, like stuff in the '90s is called classic rock now. I'm like, oh my gosh. Anyway, that's that's my answer. 
Um, I think Chris in his perfect world, they would only sing the Psalms. Is that right? Or is that, is that Aviana? Uh, what, is he on what a call are again? Thoughts? Yeah, I think he's on a call. Well, what are what oh. are your thoughts, uh, Victoria? Oh. What are your thoughts, Theo? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I like the church hymn, so I like "Be Thou My Vision." It is well with my soul. Uh, I think the Gregorian chants, like, is is that more like a Eastern uh, or Orthodox thing, like Oriental Coptic? Or is, is that actually within the Protestant denominations, or where, where does that come from? I don't think there's any of that in the Protestant stuff. That's like a Catholic, uh, Catholic or Catholic plus. <laughs> so yeah, like like Catholic or above Catholic. Um, but you know, like the like that stuff. Like it's so beautiful. I feel closer to God. I'm like, what? The way you should feel close to God is because you have faith in Jesus to save you, not because some like bald dudes with shaved heads or you know making sounds with their mouths. Anyway, that, I mean, that's that's funny enough. There's this guy we used to know who was like all about that. Like every time like music would come up, they'd be like, oh, I love the chants. And that's how I just know that God is real and all the chants. And they start talking about like all this like material, superficial stuff. Um, talking about like God instead of, you know, like actually God. It's like, well, you know, like following Jesus, you know, following his words, like, you know, trusting Christ to save you. Um, he would just go straight to music. Big, oh, it's the chanting that gets me close to God. I'm like, eh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, so yeah, so, uh, um, so I mean, I had, like, kind of this debate with the guys from Christian Table Talk, but, um, like, so you, you would affirm that, like, sola fide is essential to being saved, that we need to accept that Christ has paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. God, God Christ has paid for everything. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if someone doesn't understand everything you said, like past, present, future, if they're just like, all I know is, you know, Jesus forgives me or Jesus for has forgiven me. Um, yeah, so I, I would say that sounds right to me, but I'm also not going to call someone a heretic that doesn't have an understanding of that means every sin, past, present and future. If they're like, hey, all I know is I called him Jesus to forgive me, so he's forgiven me. Like, sweet. I mean, if I had time, I'd, I'd explain, you know, maybe what that means. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So when like the Roman Catholics, uh, like in the Council of Trent or uh, in their catechisms, they uh, deny sola fide, they deny that Christ has paid for sins in full, uh, you know, Council of Trent, Canon 30, um, they they would be uh, rejecting right, that Christ has paid for the sins in full and, and they would not be Christian, right? Let's see. You know, every time there's something I really disagree with, it's usually after someone talks about the Council of Trent. Um, so I would definitely be burned alive if I was at the Council of Trent. Um, so if that's what they say, you know, taking your word, because I'm not going to like read the whole Council of Trent right now. So if that is true, then people that believe believe that um, and, and not just like believe that, but like their understanding of that is not something that could be nuanced into OK, but their understanding of that is. Christ does not have the power to forgive everything, then I would say sure. Uh, but I also can't say, you know, all Catholics would not be Christians because, you know, I bet like most of the Catholics I know would be like, I, what's the Council of Trent? No, I'm Catholic. Like that would probably be their response. I'm like, no, 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 it, it was a Catholic council. And they're like, what? No, you're wrong. 
So I hope that helps. So yes, if it is as you say, and that's what it was, and then the understanding is Christ doesn't have the power or will not forgive everything. And, you know, that's why you have to do like penance and, you know, confess to fathers and do all this other stuff. Then I'd say, sure, that's a very big heretical problem. Um, but then to say like that automatically means all Catholics are not Christians. I can't say that because I guarantee like most Catholics I know have no idea about any of this. <laughs> what do you think? Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm just posting it in chat. Um, and yeah, and then I can also post a link in a second. Uh, you just type in Council of Trent and it comes up, uh, Council of Trent, Carmen, it comes up there and they also have a link to the, another website on there. But, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, my, my thoughts are, uh, cause I was having this discussion with the people from Christian Table Talk a while back. Um, so the, the people who like witness to the Muslims, which overall is a good thing, but in, in the, um, I guess in kind of the, uh, like the venue or in, in this, um, like in this, in this endeavor in which we are witnessing to the Muslims, uh, often we have like, uh, like we have Orthodox or Roman Catholics uh, mods or people who are uh, engaged in kind of like witnessing to the Muslims or or like teaching and whatnot. Um, and so for me, like when I was doing that, I found a lot of conflict, uh, a lot of uh, battles, uh, essentially because like when we presented the gospel, we'd presented that hey, Christ has paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And then when a Roman Catholic or an Orthodox presents the gospel, they're like, uh, hey, go to the, or for a Roman Catholic, go to the Roman Catholic Church, uh, participate in the Eucharist, uh, like go and confess to the priest in the box, like do these sacraments. And through the, the, the doing of these sacraments, they call that God's grace working through you. And that results in this infusion of grace. And you're like filled up, but it's almost like a liquid. Uh, and then you go into the world, you sin, you do bad things. Now it's depleted, and now you got to go back and get refilled, um, and back and forth and back and forth. And so you're like, you're 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 in this state of grace where you're uh, saved, and then you fall out, and then you go back in, and back and forth. And that's very um, not that's not biblical. That's not Christian. Um, yeah, but it's so just it their understanding sense. of that like they describe grace as being a tangible thing so i i i see the way you're wording it being problematic but if you ask a really educated catholic about this it's more like the psychology of how they believe grace functions well i mean i i just see it as like my humble estimation is it's just a really unhealthy abuse of like um i don't know the church like it, feel, it feels like a racket like instead of like, you know, using the church for like, you know, fellowship of the brethren, things like that. It's like you you need the church. You're forced to come to the church for like unhealthy pretense. Like, you know, without without the church, like, you know, you I don't know. It just it just feels like a racket, like almost like uh, like, like a mobster movie, like how, how you have you're like you're stuck, like you can't get away. Like just when you thought you were out, they pulled you back in like one of those things, like instead of like the, the first century church, like it was a while about like 
you know, freely coming and fellowship and communion for all these good positive reasons versus you have to go back to the church to, you know, you know, they have a handle on your salvation. Like instead of just having like fellowship, like, I don't know, like before, like aside from all this other stuff we're talking about, like, I just can't get that out of my head. Like I see it as like an unhealthy abuse of like the church and how you're beholden to them. You're beholden to men instead of God. Um, that just, that just, that's really eh, with me. Yeah. But then they, they believe again, I don't hold to this belief, but I'm the friendly Catholic apologist on this app, I guess. If I'm a Calvinist, you're a Catholic. <laughs> yeah. It's similar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Catholic adjacent, I guess. I do it. The, if the Catholic. idea though, is that the church is the physical continuation of Christ's work on earth, then it's not it's more that the idea that you would reject the church, it's an outright rejection of Christ and his work and what he's commanded us to do. So that that's how that got manipulated. But I'm pretty sure that's where that belief is, is that the rejection of the church is, is akin to rejection of Christ because Christ is the church or the church is a continuation of Christ. Mm, sure. You know, that's I like do. people only beat their wife because she makes them. No. Yeah. No, it's no, it's like a sign. If you, I'm not saying I agree with this belief. I believe the church is a body of believers, and that's the end of my. But if if your belief is that the Catholic Church is one long, continuous, uninterrupted, you know, continuation of Christ's work, then to reject that and refuse to go, you'd have questions about like, but why? So I don't think it's like you have to come to church and give us money or else you're not saved. It's more like, well, you're clearly not saved if you don't have a desire to continue Christ's work. Mm, no. So the way that it would work stuff is that they reject something that we as Protestants take as the gospel. It is something called penal substitutionary atonement. Chris, um, so I'm they believe <laughs> your interpretation of Catholicism, right? What might be more? I mean, I was a Catholic. I grew up Catholic, so maybe you should listen to me about it. Or, well, Michael uh, was a Christian. Michael you can't make her mad and run away. We don't have enough conversation this morning. No, no. I, I'm, so, not, I'm not trying to make her mad. I'm trying to tell you what Catholics actually believe. Like what no, they actually Chris, say is that Chris. they believe in something called Christus Victor. Yes, that, I know. I'm aware of how okay. you. Hold, okay. So how you I, and I, you and I. You and I can talk about what we think and hold to about what Catholics believe. It might be helpful to have a Catholic like say it, but what I'm I'm defending the idea that Nate is not Nate is saying it's like the mob, and I'm saying <laughs> here's where that belief came from. I'm not getting into a debate about penal substitutionary atonement in the second catechism. I'm I'm talking about like if you believe the church is the continuation of Christ, you want people in it. That's that's it. That's my whole by force. Well, you would forcefully wonder why somebody would reject Christ. Yeah. Okay. Right. Catholic my, my hey, Chris, this is fun. Know, is this how you feel Catholics when you call me a Calvinist? Are... Yeah. <laughs> what was that for you? I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my question for the yeah my my question for the Catholics um, would be: uh, Does Christ pay for all of your sins uh, completely and totally? Right. So that's what I would ask them. And then, yeah, I mean, there there are follow up things. But yeah, so if, if there's a Catholic or anyone who thinks Roman Catholicism is, uh, you know, it is within Christendom, um, I guess, yeah, the, how, how would you view that? Like, would you view Christ pays for all of our sins from the Roman Catholic perspective? Yes, they would, be, they would believe Catholic. that. Right, so patristic man is our Roman, our Roman Catholic friend. Um, 
but yes, they would believe that, Theo. And they, but the difference is, is that we believe in something called alien imputed righteousness, and they believe in something called an infusion of righteousness or an infusion of grace, and that the sacraments are a physical representation of Christ and his saving work, and that those sacraments impart grace to your soul after your baptism to replace the grace that has been frittered away by venial sin. Alien imputed righteousness. Just when I think I have heard everything, I've never heard that. Outside of the world, that's all it is. I, I, I mean, I get it. I, I, I get it. Uh, well, can we talk about SatanCon again? Did you have some stuff about SatanCon? Oh, I totally did. SatanCon, like, Steph should definitely talk about SatanCon. She should go. What? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Why? To, what is Satan? To talk to Satanists. It's like all that, you know, like, Jamesy is the Satanist that doesn't believe in Satan. So they had SatanCon in Boston last weekend. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, it's like a whole thing where it's like, you know, Satanists tearing up the Bible and all this stuff. But notice, notice also, Nate, Satanists did not tear up the Quran because they're cowards. I totally agree with that. And you oh, know, it, we need I mean, to challenge it, them on that one. Oh yeah, it's being done. People we, are and, laughing. And then, and then there'll be, and, and then there'll be some someone who's brave enough to do it, and then we never hear from them again because they have lost their life. <laughs> um, Islam is the true religion. Ha! Did somebody sneeze? I'm not going to say dot today. I finally remembered. It's been enough times. Um, <laughs> uh, welcome. Uh, um, we did get yeah, Patristic so, I mean, up here to comment on the previous conversation. So. Uh, yeah, Patristic. Uh, that thing or SatanCon? Your pick. Oh. <laughs> uh. Honestly, right now, I mean, the conversation's kind of flowing, and I do think Chris did give sort of a good uh, overview of uh, Catholic understanding of, uh, I mean, there is sort of an understanding of imputation, like the record of debt is uh, washed away. However, um, I think the idea is more so you're not going to go on sinning after after the fact like first john 3 or the book of hebrews talks about or we shouldn't go on sinning uh because then we're seriously hurting our relationship with god so yeah i mean would you say i gave a pretty good rundown like baptism uh baptismal regeneration of the catholic church is the washing away of original sin and the imparting fully of righteousness. So like if a baby is baptized and then immediately um, perishes, that baby ends up in heaven almost immediately without having to stop in purgatory because the baby hasn't had to generate any venial sins. Would that be correct? Oh, yeah, correct. Because baptism washes you away of both eternal and temporal punishment. And if you sin after you've been justified, um, or you've received initial justification, you still have a bit of this temporal punishment, which doesn't have anything to do with justification, but um, it's more so just the consequence of your sin. Um, and it could even be paid off here on earth. But uh, 
Sure, through, yeah, that, through the sacraments, right? So the sacraments washes away. Each of the sacraments, when administered as a physical means of faith, would then wash away those venial sins for which the sacraments are administered. So you have penance, um, you have um, communion, the Eucharist, etc. Those things are the things that are replacing your infusion of grace each time you partake in a sacrament. Would that be accurate? Um, yeah, a little bit like, so penance would wash away your, um, mortal sin while the Eucharist, St. Thomas Aquinas says, takes away your venial sin. And venial sin isn't going to ultimately separate you from God, but mortal sin that actively choosing to do wrong is going to separate you from God. And, um, it really shows that you don't have a genuine faith if you're going to be committing mortal sin, which is why it needs to be repented of. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we would say in, in the Catholic conception then, uh, or, or just in the apostolic tradition more broadly, what we would say is that venial sins as defined by Aquinas um, do, do not separate you from God. They give you a sentence of uh, purgatory, those and those unrepented or un um, not repented that's not the right word but the the venial sins that have not been washed away by uh, the right number of sacraments that would just buy you time in purgatory and um, one of the other one of the other ways that you can wash away venial sin is through indulgence and that is still a that is you know we talk about Luther and indulgences and that stuff but there are still indulgences that the the Roman Catholic Church uh, does have, and and actually Luther didn't have a problem with indulgences, right? Um, Patristic he had a problem with the abuse. What he saw was the abuse of indulgences with people taking indulgences without true repentance. Would that be accurate as far as your understanding? Yeah, I don't think that Luther was completely opposed to the idea of purgatory. Um, Oh, no, not at but, all. Um, yeah, so, because, for example, the rosary or um, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which is a more modern uh, Catholic devotion, those would be seen as indulgences because they do burn off temporal punishment. So it's not just because, yeah, the Catholic Church was abusing it and, like, give us money and you can buy an indulgence. Like, of course... And I believe the Council of Trent did correct that error, so. Correct, yeah. So the Council of Trent did, in fact, Erasmus, not Erasmus, oh, man, what's that guy's name? He went after Tetzel, right? And so Tetzel died in poverty and disgrace because he was, you know, abusing the, the Pope's indulgences. Um, you know, and, and the other interesting thing that ended up happening is that you know, there are still indulgences. Like if you go to um, the Lateran Church in Rome, and they, I don't know if you're aware, are you aware of this patristic? Have you heard this before? Um, that if you climb the steps of the Lateran Church on your knees, at the top of the steps, there is a plaque that shows you the number of steps that you've climbed, and it equals how many years in purgatory that you have indulged off. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I've heard some things like that. Um, it also, have you ever seen? Let me see if I can find a picture. 
do you think about that, Steph? You better get to crawling. Uh, sorry, Are which you... part about climbing the ladder on the knees in order to like you can you can get forgiveness by pain you cause yourself. I mean, where where is that? No. Where's that? Well, it's right. It's written at the top of the steps of the ladder in church, and it's also confirmed oh. by. Well, I would say um, we do find some examples of uh, this happening in scripture, like um, with an exa biblical example of what purgatory and temporal punishment would be like is um, the story of David and Bathsheba um, when Nathaniel comes and rebukes David over it. Uh, David's grieved of his sin, and Nathaniel tells him, uh, God has overlooked your sin, uh, but because you caused the other countries to blaspheme, uh, you're going to lose your child. Um, so David was forgiven his sin, but he still had a consequence for his sin. Um, that's sort of how purgatory is seen. Is, uh, since God is so just, he is going to still give us consequences for our sins, uh, whether in this life or in the life to come. Is Chris on another call? Uh, Heretic, are you still driving to work? This may be one long trip. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, so, patristic, like, if there's consequences, like, do Catholics not see purgatory as, like, really that bad? Because, I mean, you know, like, uh, like, like apples and oranges, right? Like, if David lost a child, that's not doing physical damage to David. Uh, like, you know emotional you know on the psyche for losing a child sure but he's not physically being injured so is purgatory not like you know this like kind of like fiery place that's like actually causing physical pain um because that would be like apples and oranges if you know david had consequences sure but that's different than like i don't know some kind of hellfire type consequence so are consequences in purgatory not that bad or they are that bad that's just that's how it is no purgatory is that bad and it does it is it does hurt the person, but um, it really depends on the situation and the consequence. Like God can work in different ways to, in order to get His punishment across. So, and I think that's something you just leave up to the sovereignty of God in that kind of situation. What punishment is appropriate? So, well, Carlson, you've been up here for a while. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Lou. Now I was just wondering, what Bible verse do you get this idea from? Um, well, I think the, well, we get an idea that there are consequences for sin from... No, no, uh, no, no, purgatory. Purgatory? Um, well, there are definite inferences in the New Testament. I mean, the name itself is not... What What does the inference mean? Uh, that means that you take several biblical passages and you can make a logical conclusion based off of them. Um, this, the same would go for like the Trinity, for example. We don't actually see the Trinity spelled out, but uh, it's a logical conclusion we make. Um, so, for example, a couple passages we would look at would be, uh, I think it was Pope Gregory the Great that pointed this out. Um, uh, it's in, uh, it's when Jesus is talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He says that 
it will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And the logical conclusion is that uh, people could be forgiven in the age to come. Uh, so there's that. Um, there's this idea of, oh, if somebody can Wait. be forgiven in the age to come, what does that mean? Um, but then uh, also it's in Colossians. I forget what chapter it is exactly, but Paul talks about how each man's work is going to be judged by fire. And he says that some people's work will be burned up, um, but they will be saved, but as only through fire. Um, so some people will have to go through a fire. So, um, You compared that to the Trinity. That is not the same. But okay, I, I hear what you're saying. That's not the same as the Trinity, but all right. Uh, Carlton, you've been up here for a while. Do you have anything to say? Oh, hey guys. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Um, no, I'm just uh, just been listening. Um, but yeah, if I want, if I'm able to chime in, I will. I'm actually kind of in a started a new job on Monday, and so I'm in virtual training. But I have them only looking at my forehead and my nose. So that's why they can't see that I'm talking. So, yeah, I'm just trying to multitask kind of because some of this is a little boring. So, Well, happy to help. Uh, was someone else trying to say something? thought I heard somebody else. All right, Catholic Pastor Steph, what you got? A very unhappy baby. Oh. It can't. We should compare yours and Aviana's because that one seems very unhappy, also at times. Mine is just hungry at the moment. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. Is it all right if I ask you all a question? Yeah, sure, please. So, um, one at one, this was several years ago. I had a family member say to me, um, and they're very reformed, very Calvinist. Um, they told me, you know what? I just really don't think that the book of Hebrews should be in the Bible. It doesn't have a name attached to it. Um, it's written very different Greek than anything else in the New Testament. I just really don't think it should have ever been put in the Bible. Uh, how would you respond to that? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm probably like one of the least rigid people I know. I mean, I, I'd respond with, you know, it's in the Bible, it's fine. It reads like all the other stuff um, in the Bible. So I'm totally fine with it being in the Bible. Um, so if this is getting to like a church canonization, like, which may, maybe not, but like, you know, if we're talking about like, you know, how we need the Catholic Church to decide canon and, and stuff like that, I'd say, well, no, I, I think, you know, more is usually better. Um, but there's a problem too. But I think, no, I just say no. And if I had a Bible without the book of Hebrews, I would be just as saved as the Bible with Hebrews. So I guess my quick answer would be, I'm fine with it being in there. Um, do you think that, what do you think of like the extended ending of Mark or the woman kind of adultery story, or I think it's first John five seventeen? Um, Cause a lot of scholars I've heard just kind of folded to that being later editions. Well, yeah, I mean, the extra bit the, the extra bit in Mark, which sounded like Chris may want to speak to, 
uh, again, like I'm, I'm fine with all this, like, because, you know, the, the goal of the Bible, the goal of God's word is to get you God's, God's word. Well, what's the ultimate goal of God's word? It's eternal life in Jesus Christ. So anything like, you know, the, the book of Enoch, whatever, like even stuff that didn't even make it in the Bible. Um, if there's anything that would, uh, that would diminish Christ, um, then it's not necessary to leave it out. If there's anything that would, uh, you know, point you to Christ, wonderful, include it. And that seems to be like, you know, the 66 book Western Bible, um, you know, non-Catholic has all the stuff about Christ. So the same stuff you can find with more books is not going to have more about Jesus. It's just going to have more about extra stuff. You're going to have the Maccabees. You're going to have like, you know, which, which godless king is killing which other godless king this week. Um, it, none of it's going to have to do about Jesus. Um, so that's kind of my thought is if you boil down to all, all the stuff that points you to salvation through Jesus, it's, you know, the, the, the least Bible is going to have the same exact Jesus stuff as the Bible with the most. So if you take the, our, the 66 book Bible and the 86 book Ethiopian Bible, they all have the same stuff about Jesus. It's just the extra stuff is just extra stuff. So like it, some of it's interesting. You get some like history lessons. You get to know what else is kind of going on in the culture and the times and stuff like that. There's some extra like wisdom and, you know, the, the book of what the book of wisdom has got some extra proverbs and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's fine. It's not going to hinder your walk with God, but it doesn't talk about salvation really. So that, that's what I would, that's kind of my philosophy on it or the way I look at it. The stuff we have is what we need or the stuff we need is what we have. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, cool. I, uh, uh, ask them, ask them if they would hold the same, the same uh, zeal as it pertains to the book of Songs of Solomon or Esther, which neither of those two books mention the name of God in it at all. You know, see if they will hold the same zeal with the book of Genesis and the book of Job, where there's no concrete decision on who wrote it. See if they'll hold the same zeal with the book of Romans, even though it's authored by Paul in chapter one, but you find out in the 15th or 16th chapter that Paul wasn't the one writing at all. <laughs> I mean, people, people use it. That's a good point. Yeah. It's just it's it's just kind of weird how people like to say, oh well, you know, you can't put it in here because of that. Well, if that's the case, then let's take all the sixty-six books that we have and and have the same criteria. Just like the book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel were highly disputed on whether or not those books should be included. There's no concept of the watchers outside of Daniel. There's no concept of watchers outside of Ezekiel. About the additional books, like the difference between the Catholic and the Protestant Old Testament, the what do they call it like the Deuterocanonical books. Like they did have a kind of doctrinal relevance, not central, but some verses in those Deuterocanonical books are used by Catholics and have been used like in the Middle Ages, you know, and during the Reformation, as basis for some of the practices that were rejected by Protestants, such as uh, honoring relics uh, and uh, prayer for the dead. Uh, I think both of those are mentioned in the Book of Maccabees. Yeah, Maccabees. Yeah, if you if you pay close attention to that context, it's not talking specifically about people that are dead. 
It's actually speaking about people that are dead in sin. Just like Paul says, she that lives in pleasure is dead even while she lives. So, the, yeah, that Maccabees text is very misconstrued. It's not talking about people that are physically dead, but dead to sin. I think, Chris, were you trying to say something a while ago, too? I thought I heard you chime in. Uh, his, his, oh, my gosh. All I do is see his little light flash to, like, phone, not a phone, phone, not a phone. Yeah, he's he's kind of busy. Um, but, but yeah, so... You know, the Bible says my sheep will hear my voice. Um, the Bible is inspired right, by God. God used imperfect men to uh, write down his words. Um, that includes Esther. Uh, that includes Song of Solomon and you know, all, all of the Bible. Uh, there are, there's the immediate um, revelation from God, like God directly right, revealing himself to you, to me, to everyone. Uh, which is spoken about in Romans 1, 18 and onwards. It talks about how that which is known about God is evident uh, to you and to me, for God has made it evident right, to you and to me and to everyone. So um, you know, even without the Bible, we'd still know and have a relationship with God. Uh, you know, the Bible is made up of 66 books, which is the Tanakh and the New Testament, which has been uh, you know, over 1,500 years. 1,500 years with around 40, 40 plus authors. So um, if you don't accept that the Bible is only uh, 66 books, how many books do you believe are in the Bible? Well, I like your point about the, and welcome back, Chris. Uh, before you get another phone call, did you want to say what I thought you were going to, uh, I thought you were trying to speak a while ago? I don't know. I, I was in the middle of network land. What, what, what happened? Uh, someone asked about Patristic asked, uh, he said they had a very Calvinist friend who thought the book of Hebrews shouldn't be included because they didn't really know who wrote it, et cetera, et cetera. And he is asking thoughts about that. I don't think any Protestant, the book would, I don't think any Protestant would take that the Hebrews shouldn't be included. We know that Hebrews was questioned by the early church early on. Same with uh, second and third John and second Peter and Revelation. All of those books were heavily questioned. But we and James as well, but we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily say that they shouldn't be part of the canon. It may have been a misunderstanding, but may, may, there's lots of Nimrods out there, so maybe that was a thing. So I don't think you're going to find any Protestants <laughs> going to be like, "Yo, this shouldn't be included." You know, Luther Luther famously wanted to get rid of the Book of James because it was confusing to him um, until you know a few other people explained it to him. So you know, I mean, it's it's one of the well, I like your point, Theo, about like, you know, my sheep will hear my voice. Like, uh, that's why I think, you know, if all I had was the Ethiopian Bible, um, which I do have, but it, I mean, you know, if I, if I had that, I would read, first of all, the same exact stuff that's in the 66 books. It's not like they're different books. It's just some have more books. So it's the 66 books plus like 20 something others. So first of all, I'd read the exact same thing. And I like to think I'd have the exact same knowledge of Christ that I do. And I would be completely comfortable using, uh, you know, the Ethiopian Bible or like all these scriptures, uh, because, you know, I really believe like, you know, when, when we have eternal life in Christ, the Holy spirit seals us and we have God living with us, leading us into, you know, this truth and understanding, no matter how, what people say that really means something. Um, this is, I think this is also in that realm. Like you're not going to be led astray. You're knowing, you're going to know the voice of God. And, uh, so that's how, like whenever I read the book in Maccabees, 
And, you know, the part about praying for the dead, something just doesn't sound right because I've read the rest of the scripture and, you know, trying to reconcile that. Of course, people do, but I don't. So I'm like, that sounds that sounds wrong uh, to my ear. Um, so that's why I don't think it necessarily should be in like, you know, the, the actual Bible, because there's too much stuff that contradicts it unless you like, kind of cleverly interpret it. But um, also, it still doesn't cause me to stumble if it was in there. So if it were included, that still wouldn't cause a stumbling block. I'd be like, okay, well, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't reconcile this with the rest of the Bible, but my eternal salvation is just as secure. Or like, you know, the Book of Enoch, which wasn't even in the Torah, um, by the way. But you know, the Book of Enoch, it's like, you know, if I read that, like, I'm like, ah, giants, interesting. Ah, okay, back to Jesus. But people that really um, do not hear this voice, and they like go on this whole like deep dive in Enoch, and they invent like a new religion based on the Nephilim. I'm like, okay, you've gone astray. Um, so I think it can be dangerous for that. But ultimately, his sheep know his voice. So if you're a sheep, you can, it's like a counterfeit stuff, right? If you like study the real stuff, then when you find a counterfeit, um, you just know it. So you can discard it. So it's like if you study the real stuff, i.e. have a relationship with Christ and, you know, all this knowledge about your shepherd, then whenever you get all this other stuff, if it's not true, you're going you're gonna to be like, oh, I identify the thing that's not like the others. Yeah. It's also called the Apocrypha. So Apocrypha means of dubious authenticity. Oh, wait, you're both talking at once. Hang on. Uh, Patristic, what were you saying? Yeah. Patristic. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, um, could I not hypothetically say that about, you know, like the Catholic Church? Like, my sheep hear my voice, so uh, I don't see, you know, Protestants hearing the voice of the shepherd because they're not accepting um, the three-legged stool, so to speak. Sure, it's a claim. You can make that claim too. Um, so, you know, I guess ultimately we have to decide if we're comfortable enough in, you know, what we're claiming that, you know, it's between us and God. So for me, um, yes, I, I will make that claim and I will claim that, you know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I have, I, I hear my shepherd's voice, uh, you know, to be, to be the most accurate representation of the shepherd's voice. And I'm confident in that claim. Um, if you also say that, well, then fine. Um, yeah, so it's just a claim. You could totally say that too. Anyone can say that. Muslims can say it about, you know, whatever they believe. Um, and if, if they're really confident, great. It's between them and God. So, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, you know, yeah. if it's two people saying, like arguing about a non-salvation issue, then it really doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, we, we both are saved and there's no problem. We just quote, us sheep are hearing voices about something like secondary or tertiary that's, that's pretty irrelevant for salvation. Uh, but if it's something like the difference of religion or like a salvation issue, well, then, you know, I would I would encourage, you know, because you can define that in different ways, depending who you're talking to. But I would encourage that person, uh, you know, to be to be very, very sure that they're really confident about what they believe, um, because, you know. It's important. Uh, Theo, yeah. what were you saying? Sure. Um, yeah. So for uh, Patristic, can you read the word of God and hear? his voice like do you um like know know what he's saying just by reading the bible uh yeah because I, I well i would say um the scriptures are definitely profitable for teaching and reproof and they make the man of god complete uh however at the same time um you know peter talks about St. Paul's letters being difficult to understand and the unstable man twists them to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Um, and thus, I think it's helpful to have a 
apostolic succession of people who, um, you know, are endowed with the Holy Spirit because that's what Pentecost was for. It actually established a visible thing for us to see um, and so that we can understand the scriptures um, in a way that they are they ought to be understood in their historical context. So I think I know what you're going to say, but you did say you, you did say something I just like to make sure we're on the same page. You said, you know, it'd be important to have someone who is endowed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, I mean, I think you would agree, um, you know, as believers in Christ, we all are. So I think you, you would probably say you agree, but you mean something different by the apostolic people too. But I'd say as oh, far as yeah. the Holy Spirit, we all equally have the Holy Spirit living with us, guiding us into truth and understanding. But yes, uh, also what you said, people can totally mess us up. And I think you see, like, you know, just assuming, I'm just going to claim I'm right for a minute. I'm just going to claim that traditional, you know, kind of the Orthodox Christianity is, is right. Um, uh, as far as, you know, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, like the main, the main sticking points in Christianity. Let's just claim for a minute that that's right. Um, well, then when you see people twisting scripture and what you just said, that verse, um, I totally see that as stuff we see here. When there are people like so far off the beaten path, like it's not like uh, it, it's totally a salvation issue. So it's not just like a little doctrinal quibble that both people are are still sal salvifically right in Christ. Um, that wouldn't be the time to say, well, you're twisting scriptures and blah, blah, blah. It's people like, you know, baptized that say you need to cry literal salty, watery tears to be saved. Otherwise, you're not saved, which is like so, so heresy. Like her there needs to be another word than heresy. Um so I would say stuff like that, like when people are like using the actual scriptures and coming up with this like insane stuff, um, I would say that would be when it applies, not just like, you know, a Christian person, you know, reading it and be like, oh, OK, Jesus says repent and believe. I guess I'll do that. And then there's like a secondary issue where both people are still saved. They're just quibbling over like little words um, for whatever that's worth. I just like to interject that. Like whenever I hear that verse, I think people that you can totally be like, wow. You guys are so far away, you may never be found again, except for the grace of God. Yeah, I do totally agree with that. I, Theo, did you have something to say? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to say that uh, when when it comes to like reading the scriptures, um, you know, we, we would accept that when you read the scriptures, you go, you read it, uh, and if you're genuinely seeking the truth, you'll find the truth because you have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with God and we're, we're not going alone. Um, and there, there's no need, right? There's no need to go and appeal to like councils to interpret the scriptures for you, the catechisms to properly understand what the scriptures mean to uh, papal infallibility or church fathers to authoritatively uh, tell you or tell me what the scriptures mean and without them uh you know like lost on the ocean without a rudder that's not the case what is the case if we're genuine if we go and re read this the bible we're genuinely seeking the truth then we'll find the truth because god has made us spiritually alive as a sheep where we once were spiritually dead now we're spiritually alive and he sends his holy spirit to live within us and he guides us in understanding truth and seeing the truth so if if we have a relationship with god then we can read the bible and understand what god means and if we don't have a relationship with god 
then we need to appeal to other people who do have a relationship with God, like the Pope or these church fathers, um, because you know evidently they're the ones who have the relationship with God and can authoritatively understand the scriptures, whereas the rest of us, we have no connection. So we got to listen to what they say, like the Muslims. You know, the Muslims, they got tafsirs. The Sunnis, um, they, their Islam is 87% to 90% of Muslims on earth are Sunnis. And Sunnis are not allowed to just go and read the Quran and understand it by themselves. They're supposed to go to the tafsirs, or the tafsirs are the scholars like Ibn Kathir. And so then Ibn Kathir authoritatively interprets the Quran for them. Um, so they, they can't just go and understand it for themselves. This shows that they don't genuinely believe they have a relationship with God. Because if they believed they had a genuine relationship with God, they could read his word and know what he says. Right. So um, if one rejects Sola Scriptura, one rejects that the Bible and God is our ultimate authority, without any uh, additional materials required to interpret the Bible authoritatively or, or to stand alongside the Bible as authoritative doctrine for all those who are Christian. Uh, if they reject the Sola Scriptura, <clears throat> then they're rejecting that they have a direct and personal relationship with God. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, Sounds and... like a false dichotomy there. I see what you're saying, Theo, but uh, I feel like I had a very different experience than you uh, reading the scriptures. I do remember many years ago, um, and I've read the you know, New Testament so many times, but um, I sat down in my bed and I read about like 10 epistles back to back to back, and I, uh, my soul was just drained, and I was like, God, I really need to you um and i was reading these epistles back to back to back and then um i came to almost the opposite conclusion of wow and i don't want to sound like i'm dismissing the word of god um but this is just how i felt that moment when i was reading all those epistles was um wow these are a lot of just letters that are written in a context that i'll never understand um and this is the inspired all-time word of god that we are supposed to submit to um so i do i just feel i came to a very different conclusion reading the scriptures of uh tradition so helped me understand the place of scripture or yeah tradition helped me understand the place of scripture and uh, uh what it does for how it can feed our souls in the most appropriate sense um but then also, one of the issues I have with Protestantism in general is that um, I feel like a lot of these terms that are thrown out, like um, uh, having a relationship with God and things like that, um, they're kind of abstract things that aren't can't be described. Um, they wind up just being like, yeah, have a relationship with God. I mean, is it similar to the Mormon burning of the bosom? I mean, Patristic, yeah. sorry, can you can you like put the mic closer to your mouth or something? Like you're very low. Like I have trouble hearing you. Yeah, sorry. Can you hear me any better? That's a bit better. Yeah. Um, what did you all miss? 
No, we heard it was just quiet. Okay. Um, yeah, but um, I feel like when I was Reformed Protestant, a lot of concepts like having a relationship with God or even work relation the relationship of work with faith are just these um abstract things that are almost non-existent that um you just if you have them you know um and i just i guess i is it any different than you know the experience mormons have or well yeah, i don't know what yeah it, it is, is. mormon <laughs> yeah I, yeah i can't speak for mormons but uh, yeah chris go ahead so i mean i mean you, you so you were reformed at one point so you'll you'll understand when i say this and i'm not trying to be mean it's that god has hidden himself from you that way that's why his word didn't make any sense to you and that's why his word was inscrutable is because he has hidden himself from you um and so that's that would be the answer um you know and and also people have and protestants especially have horrendous habits at being able to read the Bible properly. They don't because um, Western society in particular, and particularly in America, has miseducated people out of being able to be literate. And so your average person on the street is going to be functionally literate, but academically illiterate. And what I mean by that is not like that they're an academician. Would you agree? I'm sorry. Um, you know, I mean, I first want to say, you know, Scripture says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you're saying I didn't really call on the name of the Lord? Why? Yes. Okay, I mean, I can't really, at this point, I can't argue with you all because um, now it's just an experience thing. So. Sure, sure. But I'm just, all I'm saying is that, you know, Ephesians 4.18 talks about, you know, how people have darkened understanding before they are called. And again, you know, we believe as Christians that it is the Holy Spirit's job to illuminate sin to us, but that it, but being a good Berean, it is our job to be able to parse out the scripture. Um, and it's not that difficult. Um, I can read Romans and know exactly what Paul is talking about. And then I can read other books like Poet and Prophet that I'm reading right now, which is excellent, um, which gives me further uh, cultural context for, say, the parables of Luke, which is what that 400-page book is about. Um, it just enriches the text to me. But the meaning of the text, the basic meaning of the text in terms of repentance and in terms of uh, salvation is extremely clear. I don't know how it could be any more clear um, unless God is hiding himself from you. Yeah, the problem with that entire like approach is that like factually no one in practice like has it. Like, you can f see um, some glimpses of like what that approach yields in some like third world countries, you know, they don't have the Christian history and like familiarity with various, you know, historical denominations. And they get a lot of Bibles and you have like, you know, people in Korea or like Indonesia reading the Bible and they become Christians and they're like, yeah, it's so clear. And they they like make up some ludicrous, you know, denomination and, and theology. And 
in the West, Protestants like have this view. I need only the Bible, but in if they had only the like they let's say a uh, person is a Calvinist or a Methodist that's or not a Baptist. What, that's not what if, you say. If they, if they had only, gave... no, no, I'm just saying like there was a previous like I think Theo was making this like sola scriptura. You know, it's so clear when you read the Bible, you kind of went in that direction too. But like if there was the only the Bible that the person would read without any. Uh, Baptist confessions and denominations preaching it and like, you know, people being familiar with Tulip, they would never become Calvinists or Baptists. They would make up their own denominations just like, you know, Indonesians and Koreans do when they get just the Bible. Yeah, like, but so that's it's, not true. It's not really... That's materially like, not true. Like, you can go... Like, my, my sister-in-law literally just got back from Korea on Monday. She is Korean. They do not have an appreciably different faith in Korea than they do here like literally i didn't my claim the entire nation of course people in korea and educated no, and know about the west and know about but, calvinism look, and baptism sure, but mm. they do like like ligonier is huge in korea and in china and so you know the thing is is that again people aren't just making up their own religions they come to protestant christianity or first century christianity the same thing they come to first century christianity by a simple reading of the text of scripture. There doesn't have to be any of this other stuff to give you a basic faith that Jesus died for their sins. And you see in Romans that you need faith alone. Abraham was Reading justified. of the scripture on its own doesn't even give you what books of the Bible are in the Bible. You need oh councils and history a, for that. Oh my God. So this is... That's, this a, is... that's an insane argument. This is so hard to hear. Like whenever you just whenever you read the New Testament, right? The Jesus stuff. Whenever you read the New Testament, first of all, the epistles say like the same thing over and over and over. Like as far as salvation issues, like um, <clears throat> you keep talking about like Baptist or Calvinist. Forget all that. Like all, uh, uh, the, uh, we can argue, but like under this large Protestant umbrella, Calvinist, Reformed, Baptist, Presbyterian, you know, Assemblies of God, Church of God, they're all saved. They have doctrinal doctrinal issues for sure but they're not salvation level. So like the, the wide swat of Protestants are going to be on the same page as far as salvation issues, which means they simply read the Bible. And it's like what you find in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the same stuff you find in the letters of Peter and Paul and the writings. So if there's like extra non-salvation doctrines, for example, you may need a, hang on, hang on. Uh, well, like uh, once saved, always saved, or can you lose your salvation or free will? If you have like extra stuff, if you have like, extra questions about some stuff like that that is not a salvation issue then sure you may need to ask someone but as far as when jesus says look i didn't come to work to the world to condemn the world but through the world anyone who believes on me will be saved and you know just believe on me and then romans says this says if you believe god raised jesus from the dead you confess jesus as lord you will be saved and then patristic brought it up earlier all who call on the name of the lord will be saved so you see the same stuff that jesus says that paul says throughout the bible and that peter says and it's all redundant. So it centers, the, the nutshell is Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and lives forever. And to the person that believes that and confesses Jesus as Lord, repents, stop what you know you shouldn't be doing anyway, and do the opposite. Uh, and you follow Christ. That's it. And you ask for this eternal life that he says he'll freely give. So in, in like, what, 15 seconds? That's the that's the salvation gospel message. The if someone reads message. that with their, it doesn't matter. Hang on. It, if someone just, what I was about to say, if someone just reads the Bible 
That's the main point. If they say, okay, what are the most important things you read in this book? Is it the story of Job? Well, no, that doesn't talk about my eternal life. Is it the story of Jonah and the big fish? Well, no. What, what is the most important thing? Well, it seems like this Jesus guy who claims to be God and claimed to rise from the dead and everyone saw him ascend into heaven. And he says, being God, he will, he will give them eternal life to anyone who, who asks. He'll give freely. All you need to do is believe in him and ask him to forgive you and give you eternal life and you will have it. That's the most important things I get from this entire book. And then I don't understand how that's so difficult. Like if you just do a priority sheet, like I could have a perfect atheist do this, uh, not perfect in that sense, but like, you know, a complete atheist, like a, a Christian, a theist, whatever atheist um, do this. And they're like, Oh, well, okay. I don't believe you're God. I believe it's all fairy tales, but if I'm putting this order of importance based on the book, it's going to say God and, you know, Jesus, he seems to be claiming to be God and he died. He rose from the dead. He says he, without blood, there's uh, shedding of blood. There's no forgiveness. He did that. And he says, you know, his sheep hear his voice. So ask him to forgive you and save you. And he'll make you this thing called born again. And you'll have eternal life. Like anyone can do this. So it's so baffling to me when people act like this is the most confusing thing on earth. Like if you get in a rabbit trail about some secondary non-salvation doctrine, I get that. But as far as the message that you need to get to be cool with God, it is so simple. Like, you know, someone talked about, like, I think it's St. Jerome, by the way. So if there's any good a saint ever did, it's this quote. Like, St. Jerome, peace be upon him, said, you know, the gospel is like, it's so simple, a child can understand it. But it's so deep, theologians can, like, dive and dive and dive and never reach the bottom of this lake. Um, so it, it's like, well, he's, I messed it up. It's like he said it's like a lake that a child can wade in safely and never drown. But theologians can dive and never reach the bottom. So, I mean, he got that right. So when people keep getting tripped up and they're like going off in rabbit trails and rabbit trails, it's like, go back to the start. Go back to like how a child would read this book. Like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in him. Forget about ontological arguments. Forget about like all this deep stuff that has nothing to do with your eternal soul. All right, that's all I got. Well, a Catholic would say, like can say at least, like the same thing for their own teaching. It's so simple. I don't know how these Protestants get this so wrong. You can just read the text and see that it's not sola fide. Like uh, works are mentioned a bunch of times that you need them and you're going to be judged according to your works. There's a bunch of verses about that. And it, they can say the exact same thing for their own doctrine, though probably without repeating it four times for some reason. But That's totally right. It's their right. They could do that. I mean, we could we could have a big argument, but just for the sake of this, I would say, yes, they can totally do that. Anyone can do that. Muslims can do that with their stuff. Um, so uh, ultimately, yeah, this is where I stand. And this is where Chris would, you know, maybe maybe hard to hear. But you guys could also say the same stuff about us. That Chris would say, the, God has clearly hidden himself from you. And you could say that's the very same thing about us and say, well, you know, God has hidden himself from me. But I mean, sure. uh, so it's a claim. And I'm confident in that. And if you say you're equally as confident, then, you know, let's go our own way and one of us will be right or, you know, we'll both be wrong and, you know, burn in Muslim hell. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Um, or universalism is true. Also not going to happen. And then we'll be like, well, this is for nothing. But, yeah, the point is, well, I guess I guess that is the point. Um, just you have to be confident. And there's only so far we can go before. Uh, yeah, sheep. You want to say something, sheep? Yeah, yeah. I, I think like uh, in many rooms, right? I mean, the, the concept of. I think this is where this is where we're confused about, right? I don't think so. If if you really dig deeper with with Catholics, right, the concept of being saved through the blood of Christ, 
and the the idea is is there it, that we all believe as Christians that without Christ you have nothing, and, and the scripture is clear, right? Uh, we we were living in darkness, and, and and now we live in the light because because not because of our works, right? Because because what Christ did. So it sounds like so, you're slaughtering a sheep in the background. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we're doing some uh, flipping house. I'm, I'm an investor, so. But uh, let me get outside so you guys can hear me. But uh, anyway, so so the the concept of you know, the faith side, the changing of heart is it, it comes from Christ, and we Catholics, you know, the Catholics would say the same thing, and the Protestants would say the same thing. Now, where do we differ? That's where we gotta find out. It's not really the concept of whether you know, okay, you know, we disagree about this and this, as you said, right? Those are those are the simple thing that we can literally dig in the scripture and see if if there's any idea of priesthood being established in the scripture, or if there's any concept or idea of um, a, you know confession by faith or or a continuous sacrifice or, or the eating of the sacrifice or whatever the sacraments. And and if we dig deeper, we know those things are not clear to everybody else, but we can find the concept. But then if we also look at the Ethiopian Enoch, he didn't like he didn't go through the process nowadays what Catholics would say. Uh, he didn't go through the process of what you know the Orthodox would say. He literally believed. He took him to the river and he baptized him, and there he was. He confessed and believed in Christ, and there he was. And so I, th I think those are the things that we really need to focus on, because if you really say like, oh, you know what? Because what you hold to the view of like going to the priest to confess your sin, because you're not believing in those, therefore you're not saved. Who are you, you know? Then I would say to the Catholics or anyone else, who are you to say that? Because there is no concept of that anywhere in the in the Scripture. We can't pull it up. We won't find it, right? Because Jesus is the ultimate priest, and he's the ultimate of everything. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I wanted to say. I, I think there, there, if we really teach each other and dig deeper, the Catholics will be stuck in the idea of, can you be saved without Christ? Can you be saved with your work? They say no. Then there is Christ right there, right? In the end, that changes the heart. Yeah, and I think to chat... Um... Yeah, thanks, Sheep. And I, I think to, to chat, yeah, I see G, and feel free to speak if you'd like. But yeah, God totally hides himself from some people, uh, from some people. But yes, if you ask, you receive, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I think if, I mean, you know, I mean, I think if if someone, I don't know if test the Bible is the right word, but I'm mean, the right phrase, but if someone wants to, you know, test the Bible or test God, um, I, I know it says don't test God, but you, you know what I mean, for this scenario, um, you can check the Bible or validate the words of Christ when it says, you know, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. So if someone sincerely does that, you know, the Bible would be a lie if it says anyone who put their trust in the Lord, uh, you know, none of them will be put to shame. So if you are truly, sincerely trusting the God of the Bible, Jesus, with your eternal soul, then you cannot be put to shame or the Bible's a lie. So if that means you say you're doing that and you sincerely are, only God knows, God knows the heart better than you do. Um, so if if that box is checked, that you sincerely are calling on the name of Jesus to save you, um, and you have, let's just say, uh, the box of correct theology is unchecked, then I believe before you take your last breath, sincerely calling on the name of the Lord to save you, well, God, God has to save you because that's what the Bible says. So then if you have a bad understanding of Jesus or bad theology, that will be rectified to whatever will check that box for, yes, you're calling on the name of the 
Lord to be saved. And yes, you have all the salvation issues right. Now you can die. So, I, I mean, I believe it's that if that's sincerely done, God is, of course, going to honor what he says. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're not dead yet. Um, I think that was to patristic like a long time ago when you brought up the call in the name of the Lord. So, yeah, I'd say if someone says they're calling in the name of the Lord and someone says, well, you're you're definitely not a Christian. I mean, well, I mean, if, if they're wrong, they're wrong, like on salvation issues. But if they're calling in the name of the Lord before you die, before you exit this world, I believe those will be resolved. Yeah, I, I, I had some put thoughts. the heart there, not smiley face. Go ahead, Pete. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I mean, I I had some thoughts, and I I was thinking, you know, it's good that Patristic was, um, uh, you know, very like honest and genuine about his experience, um, and you know things like that. But uh, yeah, my 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 thoughts are like, um, you know, like let's say you have like a love letter from your wife, um. And then like you, you read it and then you're like, you're like, Hey, you know, reading this thing is, is incredibly like draining and tiring. Uh, you know, like there, there would be, there would be a problem with that. You know, there'd be a problem, um, with that like relationship with that love for your wife. And, and then if we, we appeal or we turn to her like, okay, well, um, what I need to turn to is the government and the laws in the government and by me like adhering to these laws you know no jaywalking don't drive too fast um just don't rob stores and by me appealing to these laws that that's going to help me understand or comprehend uh my wife's letter uh like i th i think that's very problematic um you know like when when we read god's word uh we ought to love god more than anything and anyone in this world god god asked isaac uh, abraham to give up offer up isaac and isaac is the son of promise to abraham isaac is the son that abraham waited uh more than 86 years right? 86 years was when he got tired of waiting and him and sarah took matters into their own hands and had ishmael with hagar um but so Isaac was a very precious child to Abraham. Like Abraham would have been willing to give up pretty much anything else or probably anything else, you know, money, his own life, like anything. But what God asked of Abraham was that which was most precious to him, right? his, his son, his only son uh, to whom he loves. And, and Abraham offered Isaac to God and God provided the ram which was the sacrifice in the place of, in the place of Isaac. So, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's the type of love that we ought to have for God is that we ought to love God more than everything and everyone else, more, more than our families, more than our wives, our sons, more than our neighbors, more than everything. We ought to love God and put him first. Um, and if, if that's not present, you know, that that's, a problem right that's problematic so you know christianity is very much about our relationship right it's about our relationship with god love god uh, love your neighbor and love yourself right it's, it's very much about relationship and you know if there if there is no relationship um you know then then you and me we we you know there's there's something not right there you know 
So and yeah, a couple so. a couple quick. Uh, oh yeah, we'll talk to uh, Bernardo, who's new in just a second. Um, just to yeah, thanks, Theo. Um, in chat, I just wanted to point out a couple quick things. Um, Patristic, remember earlier how you brought up the thing about how um, you know people go astray and people come up with their own doctrines and get twisted and stuff like that. A real life example is happening in chat. So, um, <laughs> baptize. Hope you don't mind. I'm not trying to use you as a theological punching bag, but um, it's so easy. Um, to illustrate this point, so you know, thank you for God using what was the devil meant for evil and turning it to good for this demonstration. So you say every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and then you say that is a visual picture of somebody crying out the God. I think you meant to God. Of course not. A visual picture of every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What the visual picture is is someone kneeling and someone confessing. Tears are nowhere in there. You're reading that into it. That's where you've gone astray from the scripture. So um, anyways, I would say that. And then as far as the Ten Commandments, uh, Mr. Bill, talking about the, keeping the Ten Commandments, for those who say you must keep the Ten Commandments, and those like me who would say you're not bound to te keep the Ten Commandments that are found in the Mosaic Law, that doesn't mean I say break them. That doesn't mean people like me who say you're not bound to keep the Israelite commandments are saying go do everything you can to, to not keep these commandments. It's saying no. Like we're called to, by the way, uh, the law of the spirit, not the law of what Paul's called the sin and death, which is the Mosaic law, the 613 commandments. So, of course, we're not going to try out and lie, cheat, murder, steal. We're not going to try to break these commandments. We're not going to go after other gods. So then why do we keep the Ten Commandments? It's not because we're keeping the Ten Commandments. It's because we're keeping the law of the spirit, which is on our hearts, which, yes, there's a Venn diagram that includes things like we instinctively know lying, murder, cheating, following other gods, adultery, all this stuff is wrong. We also know, like the Bible says, it's elevated. If you just keep Ten Commandments, great. There's a ton of stuff that you're still doing that's sinful. So, you know, the Bible talks about knowing to do good and not doing it. That's sin. So if someone says, well, just keep the Ten Commandments, I say, well, no. Even the people like me who say you don't have to keep the commandments for salvation, you want to keep the commandments because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not you are bound to keep these commandments or no saved. Uh, he's like, I've already saved you. If you love me, you will keep these and that will be fruit that you are mine uh, because you're, you're, you know, you're following my teachings. You're following my commandments, which are lots more than 10. So I'd say that's why when people say you don't have to keep the 10 commandments to be saved, we end up doing a pretty like a better job most of the time of keeping the commandments than the people that say you must keep the commandments. So. Um, I, I don't know if that – I hope that helped, but it's like we keep the commandments just happenstance because we're trying to follow Jesus, and we're trying to live how Jesus did. Well, Jesus didn't break these, so we don't want to break these. It's not because they're written on the tablets of stone. It's because they're written on our hearts. Um, so it's like we're, we're doing the exact same thing, just the reasoning behind it is different. Um, Bernardo, what's up, Bernardo? How are you doing? Did you want to say anything? Uh, good. Yeah, I wanted to say something about – I heard the uh, that like we ought to do something, and that's sort of grounded in God that we ought to love Him and all this other stuff. And I think that the issue is that for anything that we ought to do, if God is what grounds that, then that means there are, there are things that we should do that are independent of like what we want as humans. So like I just take those to be like stance independent reasons that are outside of our stances and what we desire and such. And so if there are these like stance independent reasons that are grounded by God then like what it means to be stance independent analytically is, is to be outside of all stances. So they'd have to be outside of God too. And if we say, well, oh, they're not outside of God because God is what like grounds them, then we don't have stance independent reasons anymore. So what's your response? Uh, Would you like well, me to field this one? Sure, go ahead. 
So Bernardo, you're talking about libertarian free will? Not at all, actually. Okay, so stance-independent reasons would be libertarian free will that you can do things outside of your your desires or nature. No. Right? So no, Leibniz's Leibniz's queen. That's not what that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that's stance what it gets independent. down to. No, I'm talking about stance-independent reasons with regards to like the thesis in moral realism that says that there are moral facts outside of our mental states that exist. Yeah, we, we don't us. believe that. Oh, okay. So you don't think that there is like a categorical reason for action? No. Okay, there is, great. There is reason but... for action within. There is reason for action within the framework of our desires. Yeah. So the sufficient conditions for something being good is that we desire it. On your well, view, for, for anything. So, like, we wouldn't say the sufficient condition for something being good is that we desire it. We would say that good is defined by the character and nature of God, and our desires can either go contrary to that, to that, or it can be in concert with that. Well, no, because that that what you just said a minute ago was that it's not there's not a categorical like reason for action. So there's nothing about goodness that's categorical or outside of our desires. So the sufficient conditions for something for X being good is that we desire X. So it wouldn't be in God's nature, right? It would be in our no. nature. Well, again, yeah, that we in the Christian worldview we reject that. Okay, so there, so then, so then there is something categorical about goodness then. There is something categorical about goodness from the character and nature of God, not from our own desires. Right, yeah. Because a minute ago you said there was not something categorical about goodness. So if there is something categorical about goodness, uh, then if God, if God grounds... Hold on, I'm not done. Yeah, I'm not me. done, though. Yeah, I'm not done. I'm almost done. Okay, well, then if don't God, bring down yeah, a straw man. Well, I'm not, it's not a straw man. You said that it verbatim, was. that there's nothing categorical. Right. But again, that you took it out about. of context. No, I didn't. You're trying to cope. You're trying to cope. Let me finish oh, now. My goodness. So if God is what grounds categorical reasons for action, then these are stance-independent reasons. If they're stance-independent, then they'd be outside of God as well. If you say no, well, they're not outside of God because God grounds them, then they're not stance-independent because it follows analytically. That's what it means to be stance-independent. Why? That's a predicate concept of what it means to be stance-independent. What does that stance mean? That means that, that stance-independence means that there's something soy generous to the notion of the proposition. What does that mean? That it's there of its, of its own accord. There's no accordance relation between the proposition and the agent's mental state. What's the but argument for that? Uh, the argument is that there are stance-independent norms here. I'll, I'll give you the argument. That's the that's the that's the claim. What's the argument? Yeah, yeah. The argument is is for the existence of stance-independent norms. So, here we go. Uh, let me pull up. So I just went over this. So premise one: water okay. operates in X language game. Premise two: if water is a rigid designator, it will operate as a rigid designator in a language game under a normative rule. Premise three: water is a rigid designator. Conclusion one: water operates as a rigid designator in X language game under a normative rule in X language game. Premise four, rigid designators refer to their term in all possible worlds. Premise five, if rigid designators refer to their term in all possible worlds, then they operate in a stance-independent way in language games. Conclusion two, rigid designators operate in a stance-independent way in language games. Premise six, if the rigid designators operate in a stance-independent way in language games, they operate under stance-independent rule or norm. If there were if there was an asymmetry between the operation and the rule in the language game, it would fail to provide an accordance relation between water being H2O being cognitively meaningful. Conclusion three, rigid designators operate in a stance-independent way under a normative rule. Conclusion four, water is H2O, is stance-independent descriptive fact that operates under stance-independent norm. 
Uh, premise 7, if water is H2O is a stance-independent descriptive fact that operates under stance-independent normative rule, then stance-independent norms exist. Stance-independent norms exist. There you go. There's the argument. Cool. Um, so what's the... I just got to say... Well, what did you say? Well, yeah, I just... Which, which I, premise do you reject? I didn't all reject of it. Oh, my gosh. Like, hang on. I, I can't hardly. Uh, Chris, do you want to keep this madness going? Because it's my time oh, to go. No. I mean... So Bernard, what Bernard I just want to say, like, well, wait, so Bernard Chris, you concede? Wait, no, so Chris, on, you no, concede? No, hang on, no one concedes. This is ridiculous. This, like, first of all, like, nobody. You're you're convincing no one of anything. You read it like the Micro Machines guy. No one knows or cares what you said. So that's the first thing. Speak a little more slowly. He asked for an argument, um, bro. I gave him. The I argument. didn't. Hang on. Okay, wonderful. I'm gonna say this last thing. Every time someone starts talking about this, and it's like a college kid. That, like, I, I, I don't know. I cannot, Bernard. I'm sure you're a great, wonderful atheist without the belief in a God or gods. Uh, so this probably doesn't apply to you. But in my mind, I cannot get the picture out of my head whenever someone starts talking about this like philosophical crap that it's just like the Bible is true, is true, is true. Like Colossians, right? Like it talks so much about this like high philosophical arguments of men and intellectualism and all this crap. And it's like, see that no one takes you captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophy, which deep depends on human tradition and the and the elemental spiritual forces of, of the world rather than Christ. I mean, this doesn't even get to that bar because this is just like nonsense. It's like this argument is so far. Like, I guarantee if we talk about this 30 more minutes, we're going to be into like hard solipsism. Like, I don't know how you people do that. It, it makes everyone else and the rest of the normal world insane. Like, as far as God goes, repent and believe the gospel. Put your faith in Jesus. It is not this hard. Like, the second someone says premise one, Everyone, like 99% of people check out. It is, it is so ridiculous. Chris, do you have anything to actually say about the argument? Because I can't, I can't handle this. I hate no, this no, stuff. No, no, no. Like the road to hell is paved with philosophy. I was going to drive him down to pure solipsism. That's what I was going to do. I was just going to keep asking questions until we get down to pure solipsism. So, I mean, you know, the, the thing about it is like Bernardo's got a PhD in philosophy. He likes to bandy about his PhD in philosophy. And like you said, no one cares. Christians don't hate philosophy. Christians were actually, you know, the, at the forefront of philosophy for thousands of years. Um, you know, if you want to go argue, if you want to, if you want to pull stuff out of the Summa and argue with that, you can go argue with Aquinas. I literally don't care. I mean, it's just, I, I, you know, I, I realize I sound like a caveman, but I mean, you know, philosophy has its place. But that place in theology only goes so far. It, it just like sounds so vapid. Like it just – you cannot get away from the Bible like pounding in, in my brain. It's like, see, this is what we mean with like you know intellectual arguments. And then while everyone else is like, oh, Christians hate intellect. Christians hate philosophy. It's like, no, it's good for what it's good for. But this is taking it so far beyond it, like what, what it should be. And by the way, I'm sure I'm talking about some like deep philosophical point or terminology that you could then talk about. But I don't care. The point is it's so just like superficial and like on the surface. It's just like what, – what is it like a half inch wide or half uh, – what, half an inch deep and like 500 miles wide? It's like on the surface, it's covered unendingly with this nonsense um, when you know the gospel is like inch wide, mile deep. Jesus, done. Okay. Um, anyways, Bernardo, sorry. Uh, this is all my philosophical frustration coming out from the last three days. Um, I usually check out when this happens. I can only handle so much. So repent, believe the gospel. Everyone else have an awesome Cinco de Mayo and Revenge of the Fifth. Uh, take care. Have a good weekend. See you all later.